I'm Jacob Schatz. And I'm Bryce Miller. And this is Talking Atlas. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Talking Atlas. And what is, I am delighted to say, our hundredth episode. Hooray! Woohoo! We made it. The big three digits. Talking Atlas started on one stormy day. I don't know if it was actually stormy, but I'll say it was for- We were in a black box. We could not have known the weather. You're not wrong. On a stormy day, approximately a year and a half ago, uh, the reason that it is episode 100 a year and a half after starting and not a little over two years is because those new to Talking Atlas may not know that we originally did two episodes a week, which was demanding, to say the least. (laughs) It was one of our great ideas. We don't do it anymore. But however we got here, we are so pleased to be giving you guys our 100th episode. In planning the possibilities for this episode, we wanted something that would really give the proper Talking Atlas treatment. We wanted to give you something that would be fun, but we also didn't want to give something that would be too weird if someone was new to Talking Atlas. We wanted something accessible still. It should capture the je ne sais quoi that Talking Atlas always brings. Consequently, today we bring you a Talking Atlas montage. This is going to be a, a buffet, a, um, a, a poo-poo platter, a, a small selection of all the things that we at Talking Atlas enjoy doing, usually as episodes, but we're going to give them to you a little more abbreviated, a little bit faster paced. Think of it like both summary and celebration of the past 99 episodes that precede this one. For those of you who have listened since the beginning, this will be a treat and a tour through all of your favorite episodes and all the other ones, too. And if you're newer, this might give you some insight into our back catalog, so you can go and search through that and find episodes that you might like to listen to. Without further ado, let's get into the montage. One of our most common ongoing segments is plane strolling. Usually plane strolling is a a flavorful tour through an entire block or an entire storyline, but we don't really have time for that right now. Uh, so Jacob, if we need to give them a quick plane strolling, what's what's like a small place we can go to? Something basic. The smallest plane that I can think of that we've premeditated. Ah, that wasn't even intentional. It's Bolas's meditation plane. Uh, that was, that was. That a- <laughs> I actually didn't think of that until it spewed out of my mouth, so you all are all welcome All right, well, that. that's, that's fine then. <laughs> and I'm not going to apologize for it. Bolas's meditation realm has been featured on exactly one plane card. The plane card being a card from Plane Chase. The playing card itself is Pools of Becoming and gives you what I must assume is half of what you could see in Bolas's meditation plane. It's a pocket plane. It's very small. It's little, and it's where Bolas goes to do his thinking and also meet up with some of his uh, associates, shall we say. To put it politely. <laughs> yes. Like pretty much everything that Bolas has now, it didn't used to belong to him. It was originally used by the Emperor of Madara as a plane for... Still meditation. Higher-ranking officers that worked for the Emperor of Madara could go there to have some time with their thoughts. Maybe to plot strategies, maybe just to get a little zen action on. Since then, Bolas went to war with the Emperor Madara. There are a few books in which the meditation plane is actually featured a little bit and how Bolas got it. And there's a big honking pair of horns right in the middle of the plane because Bolas is nothing if not subtle. As I'm sure we learned looking everywhere in Amonkhet. There are, there are a lot of horns. There Actually, are a lot of horns everywhere. everywhere. Everywhere that you look, there's the big pair of horns, as seen on the Full Art Lands. Moving right along, making a flashback to our second ever episode, I did a really dumb song. 
I wrote a song based upon a line that Jacob had come up with about the card Jace Unraveler of Secrets. He felt like it was a kind of obligatory Jace revisit, so he called it, Anyway, Here's Wonder Boy, which references an ironic statement that is made of, Anyway, Here's Wonderwall. Wonderwall being a song by the band Oasis, and the song being a stereotype of what someone who doesn't actually really know how to play guitar learns how to play on guitar. You then took that tiny little throwaway joke that I was a little bit proud of and turned it into a full three and a half minute masterpiece, if I may use the word. Masterpiece might be a little charitable, but I thank you regardless. You springing that song on me was one of the highlights of my entire life and has remained so. I'm glad to hear it. I also recall very distinctly something the users wouldn't know is that we had to pause the recording, which that they saw, so that you could scream, laugh, and utter a string of curses <laughs> That's in response to true. this being sprung on you. <laughs> oh, I believe the first thing that I did was just shriek. Just emit some guttural noise of, of pure and utter joy. And then I got into the string of curses to enunciate my confusion at what had just occurred in front of me. Now, I'm not just explaining this so we can reminisce, although that is a fine byproduct. This being our 100th episode, Jacob requested a song. Yeah, I did. Not any particular song, but any song. So I present to you, for the next few minutes, a new song. I can only hope that I managed to line up the tracks in post. Good luck. If there even are tracks. When I counted up my demons Saw there were four across the plains So with the chain veil on my shoulder I set out to ruin their days so if your magic's been affected If your power's all been lost I'll be counting up for demons, yeah Searching for greatness at any cost The first demon was no pushover Caught the fan you could not confound But you used the chain veil to break through Dragged him into the ground So if your magic's been affected If your power's all been lost I'll be counting up three demons, yeah. Searching for greatness at any cost. On Innistrad, you broke the hell vault. Just to let out Grizzle Brand. He made his best attempts to bribe you. Then you ground him into sand So if your magic's been affected If your power's all been lost I'll be counting up to demons 
Yeah. So chin for greatness at any cost. Then the gay watch went to Amonkhet. Razakas at disasters turning. Then you ate him with zombie crocodiles. It was frankly kind of concerning. Now you're searching for bells and lock to regain that soul you lost. I'll be counting up one demon, yeah. Searching for greatness at any cost. Sing it out, ah, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. Greatness at any cost, ah, oh, yeah. Sing out, yeah, oh, Thank you. I hope you've all enjoyed that five-minute song that I wrote minutes ago that you can't unhear. Also, for the curious, that's based on Everything's Not Lost by Coldplay. And if you didn't enjoy it, then don't worry, it wasn't for you, it was for me. <laughs> so there. Truth. Another one of our pretty early recurring segments came on a, a lark that I came up with, I think. You definitely did. Because one day, we were in the recording studio trying to figure out what to do, which often happened when you... When we recorded four episodes a week to release two of them a week, we frequently sat down and said, what on earth are we doing today? Oh, we had a lot of misfires, a lot of just sitting there or walking around in circles, actually trying to come up with ideas. And eventually I came up with the idea of what if we just went on Gatherer and now Scryfall, hit the random button and just blabbed about whatever card came up. And so Chaff Chats were born. We would also later iterate on that idea to give you chaff chitters chaff chitters were not originally meant to be content we released to you the viewer or listener as is always more accurate because this is still an audio medium <laughs> you think i would pick that up by now they flip over to the tab every once in a while or their podcast app they see us sometimes okay <laughs> in any case chaff chitters were something that we did as a warm-up we needed something to get into the mood into the flow of recording our radio voices settled but they were chaff chats. They were the same thing that we're still entertaining in long form, so why not do them in short form? I guess today what we're giving you is kind of a chaff chitter. It's somewhere in between a chaff chitter and a chaff chat. So like a chaff chatter? Chaff chatter sounds good. All right, a chaff chatter. As though the other two terms weren't confusing enough. <laughs> we need some kind of intro in between let's chitter about some chaff and the full intro that we give chaff chat. So I, I'm thinking along the lines of like, allow us for a brief moment or two to chatter about some chaff. Some of chaff. <laughs> Nailed it, shots. Uh, our first card is Forgotten Cave. It's a land. It enters the battlefield tapped. It taps for red, and it cycles for red, which means you can pay red, discard this card, and draw a card. I have an old border, one of these in my possession now, because I got 
four boxes of magic cards. Oh my god. A friend of mine, well, a co-worker, and a friend, is moving and doesn't play the game, but he had a bunch of old cards lying around. He doesn't play anymore. Because he's moving, he doesn't want to lug all these boxes of magic cards to his new place. So he dropped them off at work, and I took them. For the record, Jacob was intended to take them. It wasn't like they were there and Jacob absconded with magic cards. Oh, oh, sure, sure, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, you. (laughs) Forgotten Cave is in there, and there are a lot of other old border lands, and I gotta say, I'm really appreciating the old border on these lands now. I used to think that they were a little bit grody, or at the very least, not as good as modern borders, but there's something really appealing about it, and the artwork goes well with it. Yeah, I agree. Especially these early, these old cycling lands do work kind of well with old borders. Next, we have the promo version of Dark Confidant. It's one in a black for a creature, human wizard. At the beginning of your upkeep, reveal the top card of your library and put that card into your hand. You lose life equal to its converted mana cost. And flavor text, greatness at any cost. (laughs) No, this was not planned. I knew that that was the flavor text for Dark Confidant. I actually hit this randomly. That's amazing. Oh, I love fate. This is a really cool promo, because Dark Confidant is a card that was printed originally in Ravnica City of Guilds, which means it never had a printing in a legacy border temporally. But this promo, similar to the, I want to say, Sword of Fire and Ice, is a, what I call a deprint. It's Dark Confidant as though it were in the legacy border. Ooh. Which is also why it's worth $100, as opposed to the current market price of the rest being about 40 Which art does it have? Does it have Bob on the art? It does, yes. It's, all, it's pretty old. All right, it's still That's close fine. to when... It's closer to Ravnica than Modern Masters, so it does have Bob Marr, because he won it as an invitational card. Next, Furnace Scamp. It's red for a 1-1 creature beast. When it deals combat damage to a player, you may sacrifice it. If you do, it deals 3 damage to that player. Flavor text, Born of the Core. And dying to stoke it. But um uh, This certainly isn't a good card, but it's at least kind of cute. Flavor-wise, I always like small red creatures that explode upon death. There's just something satisfying about getting that last little burst of damage out. Nuvorexia had a small, very small sub-theme of creatures that can do this. There was Blind Zealot that deals combat damage. You may sacrifice it to destroy a creature that player controls. There's Furnace Scamp. There's Impaler Shrike which you can sacrifice to draw three cards. And there is an uncommon called Whispering Spectre that when it deals combat damage, you may sacrifice it. If you do, that player discards a card for each poison counter they have, and it's a 1-1 flying infect. Oh, wow. Next, the split card, Assault and Battery. Assault is a sorcery, and it deals two damage to target creature or player for red. Battery is three and a green for a sorcery to create a 3-3 green elephant creature token. Next, the gorgeous Alexi Bricklot art for Story Circle. One white-white for an enchantment. As it enters the battlefield, choose a color. White. The next time a source of your choice of the chosen color would deal damage to you this turn, prevent that damage. While Story Circle isn't a color-hate card that I usually want to play, it is at least a color-hate card that is more flexible than the things that always hate on the same color. I'm trying to imagine if there's any possible world where we get a reprint of this card with a, like, Last Supper tableau of the actual Story Circle group of Planeswalkers from the lore. Yes, we know that Tamiyo hosts, presumably on Kamigawa, a Story Circle of Planeswalkers that meet up, and I I assume are swapping their own stories, mostly. 
so that people can learn about the multiverse and each other's experiences. It also seems to act as a little like a therapy group. And after all the stuff that Planeswalkers see, therapy is definitely good. Yes. I value therapy even in normal day-to-day life where we don't face horrific monstrosities from the space in between worlds or horrific virulent Borg or scheming dragons. So I would especially advocate it in the magic multiverse. Next up, Insidious Bookworms. Black for a creature worm. When it dies, you may pay one and a black. If you do, target player discards a card at random. This is the printing from the Cold Snap theme decks, which are very weird because they feature a lot of Alliance's cards, but for the first time in Modern Border, but with the old set symbol. I think it happened for a few Ice Age cards too, to sort of have Ice Age block in the Cold Snap theme decks. This card seems kind of adorable to me. I don't know what it is. Just the idea that we have bookworms as a creature. Because usually worms are are the green W-U-R-M. And they're big, nasty, tremors kind of worms. But this is like a real bookworm. Yeah. It eats books. And apparently brains a little bit, unless they're flavoring the books that they eat as things that you had stored that were important to you. Libraries come in many forms. Jacob, you are going to be very pleased with our next card. Oh? The Gitrog Monster. Hey! Oh, that's cool. Three black green for a 6-6 legendary creature, Frog Horror. It has Death Touch. You say it, Jacob. I'm sorry. It's just that the type line is legendary creature, Frog Horror. Yes, you can put as much as you'd like into that. Oh, I think I will. It has Death Touch. At the beginning of your upkeep, sacrifice the Gitrog monster unless you sacrifice a land. You may play an additional land on each of your turns. Whenever one or more land cards are put into your graveyard from anywhere, draw a card. Would you believe that I only recently slotted this into my Tassiger deck? No. Surprise! <laughs> really? It was only recently? Yeah, actually. You mean your favorite card, which is synergistic in your favorite EDH deck, wasn't in there. Mm-hmm. See, the problem was I had stuck it in my binder, and then I I was thinking, I'm going to make a Gitrog deck someday. Obviously, I'm going to make a Gitrog deck someday. And I didn't. I fell in and out of wanting to deck build, and then after a certain point, I just looked in my binder and saw the Gitrog there, and I was like, this needs to be played. This needs to go in the one deck that I actually play regularly. So I pulled Gitrog out of the binder and put it in Tassiger. Makes sense to me. All right, let's do one more card here. Um, it's the Gitrog monster again. <laughs> how, how fortuitous. Hang on a second. Jacob. I just hit the random button five times. It was the Gitrog monster five times. What did you do to my browser? How fortuitous. Uh, Jacob? All will become sacrifice. Jacob? Go, 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 go. Let's just go to the next segment. Uh, How about a brilliant spectrum? Color (laughs) philosophy. We haven't done that in a while. Oh, sorry. I spaced there for a second. Frog in your throat? I don't get it. Don't worry about it. Where are we at in the 100th episode now? Uh, uh, a brilliant spectrum. Oh, cool. Color philosophy. Now, normally we do two-color combinations, because two-color combinations are really easy to talk about for a while. When you talk about each individual color's philosophies and how they come together, and then also what factions represent them, but we don't have time for that. Do you have another option, Jacob? Something that isn't two-color? Let's do something that has everything we're doing a, a a sample episode, right? We're doing something that has a little bit of everything, so why not do a color combination that has everything? Let's talk about Wooberg. 
sure, or as it's commonly known, five color, chromatic, everything because we can? The works. The works. There are 21 cards in Magic that are all five colors. Notably, the thing most represented here are slivers, legendary creatures of type sliver. Because slivers are one of the archetypal examples of a five-color tribe, so every time they come around and give us a legendary sliver, it has to be five-color. Funnily enough, slivers themselves, as a group philosophically, do represent accumulating all different kinds of things without particular regard for their philosophy. They put on a bunch of different traits. As soon as one sliver has a thing, it propagates across all the rest of the slivers. They don't really care about the ideas behind it. If it helps them become bigger, stronger, and better as a group, they just go for it. Another common trope I'll say in Five Color is some sort of god or avatar representation. There's Child of Alara, which is the characterization of the maelstrom, the force that united Alara back as one. There's Genju of the Realm, which is presumably a very powerful spirit of Kamigawa. There's Corona, False God who represented a massive confluence of mana on Dominaria. And there's Progenitus, who is called the soul of the world on Alara. So I would call that godlike. Heck, a lot of Alara cards are also five color now that I'm looking at it. Which makes sense considering it was a set that was heavily multicolored by virtue of being three color focused. And also had one set where every single card in it was multicolored. One of the last things that I'll say about Wooburg, Five Color, whatever you want to call it, is that cooperation is kind of at the core of Five Color philosophy, which is weird to say. I point to two cards particularly here. Transguild Courier is an artifact creature that just has a, a characteristic ability that says that it is all colors. At least it was a characteristic ability before it became a type indicator, but it hasn't gotten a reprint since. The, it's weird. It's all colors. It still would be a characteristic defining ability, but instead of having text nowadays, it would have a color indicator that was all five colors. Right. And Transguild Courier is a golem that goes between the guilds on Ravnica. The guilds on Ravnica don't really like dealing with each other except in small doses. So a Transguild Courier is one that facilitates cooperation between guilds that are usually at war with each other. And the other card that represents cooperation is Coalition Victory for... One of each color and three generic mana that wins you the game if you control a land of each basic type and a creature of each color. You have to have all the different types of mana working together in your deck, and only then can you enact this sideways win strat. Cooperation is so strong that it can go outside of the bounds of typical gameplay to win you the game. Ha! Huh. Be good to each other, people. Well before Jacob and I began Talking Atlas, we were still frequent performers. We've acted together in multiple shows. I've personally done some acapella, so some other singing and performance as well. Talking Atlas was kind of a natural extension of our love of talking at people about things, sometimes on stage, other times not. Occasionally, we'd like to bring in that acting dimension a little bit more and improvise and talk about what different parts of the multiverse might be like. What things don't we think about in the multiverse that are very important to our day-to-day -day life? We talked about education. We talked about holidays. Um, we could talk about something today. Uh, what do you want, Jacob? Hmm, we need to keep it quick, so we need something that's relatively specific. Uh, how about dentistry across the plains? Sure. Um. I'm surprised you bit for that one that quick. I really thought that would take some convincing. You're surprised that I bit? Oh, wow. I am, I swear to God I'm not doing this on purpose. Please, 
please understand that I'm not thinking about what I'm saying before it comes out of my mouth. No, no, the reason that I agreed to do this, though, do you think there are, like, tooth mages? Hygiene mages? <laughs> you're, you're not gonna have oh my God. the means to pursue modern dentistry. You can floss, and you can find things that are equivalent to brushing teeth. But you can't, you can't fill cavities. You can't, well, you can pull teeth. But procedures to do things like wisdom teeth are probably a lot more difficult. Well, it depends on where you are, because Innistrad does have at least one horrifyingly browed character that collects teeth, and so must have some way to remove them intact. Well, yes, but for the probably not wisdom teeth, something that would take a little more, I don't know, invasion. I don't know, he seems pretty invasive. Haha. <laughs> I don't want to look at this card anymore, let's talk about another kind of tooth. Jacob, I have, I have bad news for both of us. Oh no. There is actually one card that refers to teeth in a way that is relevant to this conversation. Oh no. It's called Pulling Teeth. Oh, well, let me just, uh, let me just scroll up to see that one. Oh no! It's one in the black for a sorcery from Morningtide. It says, clash with an opponent. If you win, target player discards two cards. Otherwise, that player discards a card. To clash, each player reveals a top card of their library, then puts that card on the top or bottom. A player wins if their card had a higher converted mana cost. The art shows some really, really janky dentistry about to take place, where there are two teeth with ropes tied around them, presumably so that someone can pull them out with like a door or something equally cartoonish. Oh, this is the worst. This was the worst choice that I've ever made. Uh, um, uh, uh Tooth of Ramos? Tooth of Ramos is a thing that doesn't look horrifying. You're right. It's, it's like an artifact tooth of some kind. Right. Like all the other parts of Ramos, it makes mana. Oh, that's much less distressing. Thank goodness. Okay, I think I'm winding back down. Okay, you sure you don't want to talk about pulling teeth more? No, I don't want to talk about pulling teeth anymore, you absolute okay. maniac. Okay, fine. Good heavens. Actually, though, it's, it's pretty nasty. It's the worst. Don't look that card up if you have a teeth thing. I know some people have, they don't like seeing eyes being worked on, or they don't like seeing teeth being worked on. Don't look at pulling teeth. Worked on is generous. Yes. Worked on is very generous. Well, if I describe it anymore, then it'll set those folks off, so there you go. Let's Yeah, let's get away from it. Okay, here's, here's a much kinder one, and probably a little bit funnier. A Tarka has to have, like, a dedicated tooth cleaner, right? I mean, she is a really, really large dragon who is constantly eating. Like, it's the, it's the Atarka clan's job to feed her all the time on Tarkir. So you gotta figure that she'd want to keep her chompers intact. Like, that's, that's her thing. That's part of her process. You want to make sure that you can keep eating indefinitely, so you gotta take, like, two or three minute breaks to brush every, I don't know, week. She probably uses goblins to floss. I don't mean that the goblins go and, like, floss her teeth. I mean, she probably just picks up a goblin and runs it through the gaps between teeth. <laughs> that's, that's the best image I've had all day of teeth. Well, we set a pretty low standard with that last image. Yeah, huh? Actually, looking at the art for Dragonlord Atarka, she has a really fine set of chompers. Good on you, Atarka. Daily flossing and brushing will get you far. You could even be the Dragonlord someday, if you don't get eaten first. Looking through this list, there's got to be a subsection of dentistry. Like, you know how we have orthodontics to rearrange your teeth? There's got to be a subsection of dentistry in the multiverse that only deals with saber teeth. Oh. Because there's huh. so many saber tooth things. You got wyverns, you got your standard issue tigers. There's, there's this cobra that has saber teeth, and I just don't really know what the goal is there. I bet they're really easy to brush, though. Oh, yeah. They protrude so far. Like, if you're trying to clean off your molars, that's a whole process that you can't even see, or you get a mirror back there. Saber teeth are just, they're right there. 
You probably don't even need a mirror. You can just look down. Now, a long while back, we made use of the plane shift supplement for Zendikar, the first plane shift that ever came out to run a multi-episode campaign called the Zendikar Survival Guide. It was a lot of effort, but very enjoyable. I had a lot of fun. I kind of missed that role-playing. Hmm. Perhaps we could do a quick little one-shot here. I have I have an idea that we could run. Sure. Uh, I'm game. Cool. What's What's the idea? Or do I just go into it? Do I have no prior knowledge? I think we should probably just go into it. Uh, you can use whatever system you like. It'll be system agnostic if you want to run this at home. Uh, we're going to start you off on Regatha. Sure. And conveniently, I have my dice right here. Oh, that's good. I just dropped one of them. <laughs> okay, so I'm... Am I, am I just walking on Regatha right now? You are standing on an island in the middle of a lake of lava. Uh, sitting in front of you is a pair of goggles. Uh, you are likely to be eaten by a hellcat. What do you do? Uh, okay. Do I, what dice do I roll? Sure. Uh, okay, um. You do roll dice. I'll, I'll roll this d4 to examine the, to examine the goggles. All right, what'd you get? Two. You're pretty convinced these are goggles, but you're not entirely sure. Okay, okay, I'm trying with the D8. Okay. Damn, I dropped that too. <laughs> I rolled a three. Yeah, yeah, these are probably goggles. The goggles are sitting on the uh, open floor, the ground, as it were. Okay, fine. I pick up the goggles? You're going to need to roll for that. Uh, fine. Um, I roll this D12. Okay. Ha! Ten. All right, you are able to successfully put the goggles on, and you may choose whether you put them onto your forehead like a cool person or onto your eyes like a nerd. Uh, I think onto my forehead like a cool person? Mm. Forehead like a cool person. Interesting choice. All of a sudden, a lava plume erupts next to you. You're going to need to roll. Um, uh, okay. Uh, is it like a, is it like a big lava plume? You're going to need to roll. Um, I really don't want to die, so um, hang on one sec. Sure. Give me a sec. I need to count all these dice. Uh, ten. Carry the two. Uh, uh, I gotta remember how to count pips. Um, like 128? Not only do you avoid being charred to a crisp by this lava plume, uh, you actually realize your latent pyromantic abilities and, uh, peel it out of the air with your bare hands. You swirl it around for a bit, you fire it off towards the shore, and it creates a perfect stairwell, like a Victorian stairwell, getting you out of this lake of lava, uh, and up towards a temple that you can see towards the west. Okay, cool. I approach the temple? You're gonna need to roll for that. Um, alright, I'll roll a d20. That's, that's straightforward. Mm-hmm. Seven. Uh, some pyromancers stick their heads out of the temple and go, Hey, who are you? Uh, do they look friendly? Not so much. You rolled a seven. Oh, well, um, I tell them that I am a long-lost powerful pyromancer. I'm going to roll these 2d10 as a d100. That'll be a bluff check. It's a 2, which, if you're going by the way I usually use d100s, means that I rolled really, really well. Hmm. All right, I accept it. Phew. They rush down the stairs of the temple and begin uh, bowing at your feet, saying, Oh, great and wizened one, what lessons do you have to teach us? Um, I, I shout out, uh, throwing fire. I'm going to roll a d20 
and a D hundred. Actually, no, uh, I shouldn't mix systems. Um, no, 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 no. You don't need to roll for that. They accept that implicitly. Oh, good. Excellent. They're pretty all about throwing fire. That's kind of what they were doing anyway. So they're really glad to have it confirmed that that's what they should be doing. Okay. Congratulations. You now have a cult. Oh, sweet. I've always wanted a cult. So what should I do next? Hmm. Good question. You're going to need to roll for that. Uh, okay. I rolled a four on a d6. Oh, that's pretty good. Um, the cult asks if they can do anything for you. Set you up with a pad, you know, get you some food. Pick your poison. Um, I tell them that some hot wings would be awesome right now. Cool. That's literally all we make to eat. Okay. That's, that's workable. I can work with that. Uh, they bring out some hot wings. Would you like to partake? Yes. You're gonna need to roll for that. Oh my god. Okay, fine. All right, my 3d6 say seven. Hmm. A seven. Hmm. Hold on just a second. Jacob, why are you flipping through a book? Seven. That seven, doesn't vote. Jacob, seven, 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 people seven. only flip through books when they're looking for consequences of things they don't know how they work? Oh, hmm. Well, that's a little unfortunate. Uh, well, you don't die. Um. But your your tongue is not coping super well with this, and your cult is... Well, they're getting a little disillusioned, Bryce. Uh, you were supposed to be this kind of, you know, chosen one messianic figure, whatever you call it. Uh, and seeing you not coping quite so well with ordinary everyday we make these all the time hot wings is, uh, it's shaken their faith just a little bit. Uh, you might want to do some sort of display of cosmic power in order to get them back on your side. Um, yeah, yeah, sure. Well, one sec. All right, I'm going to roll 2d20 to do a really impressive fiery thing. Mm-hmm. Good luck. Eight. Uh, well, you make a little, a little uh, in your hand, um, and a couple of the cultists are actually, they're pretty fine with that. They, they clap. They like that. Um. Oh, good. Most of them are a little, yeah, you're not, you're not really what we were expecting. Um, and they say, well, you know, this has been fun, but, uh, cults is as cults does, so we're probably just gonna go back to throwing fire for a while. Uh, you know, if you ever want to try the whole hot wings thing again, you can, uh, you can give that a shot. But, uh, until next time, you, yeah. It's gonna have to go. Uh, okay, I start moving towards the stairs that I made earlier. You're gonna need to roll for that. Oh, fine. I rolled a 34 in the D-hundreds. Hmm. Hmm. 34. Hmm. Okay. With a 34, a flash of light happens in front of you, and, uh, there standing before you is... Well, it's a planeswalker. It's... Oh! It's Jaya Ballard. Oh! Oh, she's a really good pyromancer, isn't she? She's kind of a good pyromancer. Uh, she looks you up and down and goes, Hey, are those my goggles? I... Am say gonna I need don't to roll know, for that. but okay. Um, D20 says natural one. You are burned up in a puff of smoke. Thank you very much for playing. We'll see you next time on the Regatha in quotes survival guide. Damn it. Now, I know this episode has had a lot of back and forth of this is scripted, this isn't. That actually wasn't scripted. Yeah, no, it was it was terrifying for me. Nor was the actual natural one that I rolled in the, on the D20 just now. Really? Yeah. Oh, that's perfect. Oh. oh. Well, got us out of that bit. Oh, I love games so much.
All right, now that now that I've been through that stressful ordeal, I could really use something a little more, I don't know, a little a little more relaxing. Oh, something that'll pep you up? Something that'll, you know, raise your spirits a little bit? I guess that'll work. Let's talk about our least favorite cards. I mean, we do tend to get pretty fired up about that. We've done at least two or three episodes where we just railed for a while. Although I think it was very constructive, too. We give good feedback. Yeah, I hope someone's listening to us. Eh, you never know. So normally we look through a whole set and try to find, like, our, our least favorite five cards from that set. As before, the theme of this episode, we don't have time for a full set. Or at least not five cards. So maybe we'll do, like, one card? Sure, that sounds fine. Okay, what set? How about... Alpha. Okay, admittedly, I don't know Alpha that well, but I can find something, I'm sure. Yeah, I mean, the interesting thing about Alpha from a least favorite cards perspective is that there are a lot of cards that wrap back around into being so bad that they're good, whether or not it's their mechanics or their art or their design. There's there's something to like about a lot of the cards. So finding one that really speaks to you and says, this, this, I detest this, uh... You can narrow down your options pretty quick. Okay. Okay, sure. Yeah, why not? Actually, now that you mention art, um, I wouldn't call it so bad it's good, <laughs> uh, but the card word of command comes to mind. Okay. Mechanically, it's black-black for an instant with a really cool effect. You look at target opponent's hand and choose a card from it. Now, the modern wording of this is pretty complex. You control that player until word of command finishes resolving. That player plays that card if able. While doing so, the player can activate mana abilities only if they're from lands he or she controls and only if oh. mana they produce is spent to activate other mana abilities of lands he or she controls and or play that card. No. If the chosen card is cast as a spell, you control the player while that spell is resolving. No, please. No. Why? What is... There's so many words. Yeah, the, the effect is cool. It, it sounds straightforward when you describe it. Oh, I cast a card from your hand using your mana. Neat. That's kind of cool. A little harder to spell out there. The art is a black shadow, just just shadow, nothing distinct, except for a pair of eyes drawn, mostly closed. I, I imagine it almost uh, in a cartoon style, you, you knock on a door to get into some secret club, and someone pulls the eye slit back, and all you see is darkness in their eyes. It's that, except there's no door <laughs> or slit. It's just eyes in darkness. This has got a very, what's the password? And it's by one of the most well-known early magic artists, Jesper Mirforce who I believe was art director for a good long time. It's not necessarily a bad piece of art. The composition is fine. The texture is kind of interesting. But it's also a floating pair of eyes in shadow. Some would politely call that minimalist. I would not. Well, that's, that's it for me. Jacob, do you have a least favorite card you found? I do. Now, I was originally going to, to phone this one in and just pick something that's indicative of something that we complain about a lot on this podcast. But then I did one better and found a card that embodies that and... And just turns it up to 11. My card is Helm of Chatsuk. I've never heard of this card. I'll have to look it up. It's very good that you haven't heard of this card. Now, the original card that I was going to pick was Benelish Hero. Benelish Hero is one white mana for a 1-1 creature with banding. There are four cards with banding in limited edition alpha. And uh, two of them are creatures that just have it. Helm of Chatsuk. Oh, okay. So... Helm of Chatsuk is a one-mana mono-artifact. Now, mono-artifacts back then were just artifacts that you had to tap to get their abilities. So the, the oracle text for this is, One tap. Target creature gains banding until end of turn. Now, 
Vanillish Hero has banding. Timberwolves has banding. The effect is contained, as it were. Those cards have banding, and then as long as you don't put those cards in your deck, you're fine. You don't have to worry about it. Helm of Chatsuk can give any creature banding. Helm of Chatsuk can single-handedly ruin any creature in Magic the Gathering. Those unfamiliar with banding may be wondering why Jacob is so vehement. Uh, let me read you the reminder text on Helm of Chatsuk that goes along with that one line. Ahem. Any creatures with banding, and up to one without, can attack in a band. Bands are blocked as a group. If any creatures with banding a player controls are blocking or being blocked by a creature, that player divides that creature's combat damage, not its controller, among any of the creatures it's being blocked by or is blocking. I am really impressed that you got that done in one take, because it takes more than one take for anyone to understand what banding does! I'm also impressed that I said that unrehearsed in one take. That's, and actually, like, I didn't rehearse that. Yes, I'm, I'm actually proud of you in the midst of all this rage. Thank you. Please, continue raging. We're going back to it. I can't believe that this card can single-handedly ruin any creature in the game of Magic Gathering and then has the audacity to not even be contained by the reserved list. It's okay, Jacob, because it will never, ever be reprinted again. You don't know that. You don't know that. It's not on the reserved list. The reserved list is the only legally binding agreement that says the cards can never be reprinted. This thing got reprints as late as 5th edition... And it's not on the reserve list, which means it could come back at any time, and we wouldn't be suspecting it, and they can just, just introduce this again, and there's nothing we can do about it, Bryce. Helm of Chatswick will always be waiting. From the days of Alpha till the end of time. We can pray, Jacob. We can pray that it doesn't return. I'm not gonna let it ruin my favorite cards. Nor will I, don't worry. We'll keep banding that awkward mechanic far away from all of our cards. Oh, goodness. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I just... No, it's okay. It's, right. it's understandable. It's, it's, it's really concerning. <sighs> okay. All right. Okay. We're, we'll get through this. We've made it this far. We've made it 100 episodes as a team. We can get through Helm of Chatsuk. Maybe now we could talk about some cards we like. I feel like that would be a good, a good departure from that thing we just talked about. Yes, please. Anything. What do you have for me? Well, we haven't done a deck tech in a, in a while. We, we used to do them at least two or three times. And I still enjoy deck building, I just don't talk about it as much. I usually am writing about it for my segment, Low Market, on edhrec.com. That is edhrec.com. You should totally read those articles if you don't already. Why don't we talk about a deck tech? Yeah, I think that'd be good. Uh, let's do janky, because I think you tend to like janky. Absolutely. I prefer janky over anything else. Perfect. What's the jankiest thing that you've got? Probably. Maybe. I'm not sure. But one of the jankiest things I have is my Azuri deck. This is the new Azuri, new Azuri, Azuri Claw of Progress. The commander isn't super relevant. There are two themes of this deck. One of them is not that weird. It's Alluren, which is an enchantment for two green green. It says that any player may cast creature spells with converted mana cost three or less without paying their mana cost and as though they had flash. The really weird combo I have revolves around the card Spy Kit, which is probably among my favorite magic cards. Spy Kit is two mana for an artifact equipment, equip two. The equipped creature gets plus one, plus one, and has all names of non-legendary creature cards in addition to its name. This probably doesn't make much sense to you, unless you remember that in Conspiracy 1 and 2, there were the cards of the eponymous type Conspiracy that could grant abilities and cool features to creatures of a certain name. Spy Kit makes all your Conspiracies affect the creature that is holding the Spy Kit. 
necessarily, I said, is there some weird way that we can use this in Commander? It turns out the answer is yes. There are enough cards, usually in blue and green, that refer to cards of the same name. So I present to you my Spy Kit combo. It features the enchantment Verdant Secession. It's four and a green for an enchantment. Whenever a green non-token creature dies, that creature's controller may search his or her library for a card with the same name as that creature and put it onto the battlefield. If that player does, they shuffle their library. So, if you put a spy kit on a green non-token creature and sacrifice it, you can search your library for any non-legendary creature card and put it right on the battlefield. Oh, goodness. Now, combos. We need a sack outlet. Conveniently, there's a sack outlet that produces enough mana to re-equip Spy Kit, that is Ashnod's Altar, 3 mana for an artifact, sacrifice a creature, add CC, that's 2 colorless mana, to your mana pool. Then the question becomes, well, how do we actually do something with that? There are plenty of cards in green that can do things when a creature dies, when a creature enters the battlefield, so we need a loop. To make this loop, we're going to use two more cards, Loaming Shaman and Nantuko Tracer. Now, the cool thing is, this combo is only really, like, three-ish cards. It's Spy Kit, it's Verdant Secession, it's Ashad's Altar, and it's any green non-token creature. And this can be done in Mono Green if you wanted to. When Loaming Shaman enters the battlefield, target player shuffles any number of target cards from their library into their graveyard. And on Duco Tracer, when it enters the battlefield, you may put target cards from a graveyard on the bottom of its owner's library. Now, with these two cards on their own, you can loop them back and forth. You can sacrifice them and use the other to put the other in your library to go fetch it. But what you do first is you fetch a card like Woodland Bellower. Woodland Bellower is four green green for a creature that when it enters the battlefield, you may search your library for a converted mana cost three or less green non-legendary creature and put it onto the battlefield. So you can have a green non-token creature with Spy Kit on it. While Verdant Secession is out, you sacrifice it to Ashnod's Altar. It fetches a Woodland Bellower. Woodland Bellower goes and gets a three mana card like Loaming Shaman. Then you sacrifice the Woodland Bellower having re-equipped it with Spy Kit using the two mana from the last thing you sacrificed. When it dies, you can go get Nantuko Tracer to put the Woodland Bellower back. Then you can sacrifice either Nantuko Tracer or the Loaming Shaman to go get the Woodland Bellower, and you can get out any number of creatures from your library with converted mana costs three or less that are green and non-legendary. In this manner, you can get out multiple creatures while using the Loaming Shaman and the Nantuko Tracer to loop each other in some form. The Nantuko Tracer puts back just the Loaming Shaman. The Loaming Shaman puts back any number of cards, including creatures you've already sacrificed. With this, you get infinite ETBs, infinite deaths, and all those creatures that you want. You could definitely end the game after that. I love this bizarre combo. I have no idea what I could say to follow that up. <laughs> <laughs> it's janky, all right. It is extremely janky, and it sounds wildly impressive. Thank you. I'm glad. My eyes glazed over about halfway through, but it sounded very good. <laughs> Mine did too. The shape of the words that you were making sounded very impressive. Okay, so that gets through with that. What else do we do on this pod? Oh, there's so much more that we do on this podcast, Bryce. Yeah, well, we can't. There's some we can't really do. Like, we normally would do spoilers, but we don't have a new set to spoil. So what do we do? Oh, but people love spoilers. Um, yeah, but... Oh, okay, hold on a second, hold on, I got I got some spoilers here. Exclusive Talking Atlas spoilers that you won't hear on any other Magic podcast. Jacob, I'm concerned. Snape kills Dumbledore. Uh, um, Darth Vader is Luke's dad. Uh, Tyler Durden ja isn't actually, like, a real... I mean, he's really Brad Pitt, but he's not... Jacob. Like, there's another... Um, there, you just gotta watch the movie for that one. Um, Ross and Rachel really end up together at the end of Friends, which, I mean... Wait, what? Oh, really? sorry. Uh, didn't know you were still on that one. Um, oh, that's... 
okay. I mean, I don't really care, but I didn't uh, know that. Let's see. Oh, there's a big old page here for Game of Thrones. You could have a field day with that one. <laughs> no, I've only seen the fourth season and read the first book for that. Uh, Actually, though, I know it's weird. Have you heard about Bruce Willis? I don't know. What you, uh, he was dead the whole no? time. No? Darn it! Okay, okay. I'm ending, I'm ending spoilers. Let's go on to something that is a little more, I don't know, less ruiny when it comes to stories. All right. Uh, actually, stories. We do unofficial magic story. Our our recap of the story goals of a set and a block, and see if they fulfilled them. Uh, oh, can sure. we do like a really quick unofficial magic story on something? Uh, jeez, I don't know. Um, what sets? What sets aren't we going to do? Uh, like one-off ones. Like, uh, do unsets have stories? I don't think they do. Did Unhinged have a story? Unhinged had legendary creatures and no story. There was Richard Garfield, PhD, and his story is actually going to be saved for some time where we do the story of Magic the Gathering in real life. But in Unhinged, he was just a very good wizard. So they achieved their goals. Huzzah! There were no story goals. The goals were achieved. Awesome. They Moving on. did nothing. Oh, okay. We got to slow down for a second because there was a series of episodes that we did trying to explain Time Spiral to people. Time Spiral Block is really weirdly complex. I think we called it the time spiral time period, if memory serves. It was a good time ago. Ha. Huh. Ha. <laughs> well, how do we review a block that itself was about reviewing magic up to that point, basically? Well, we could talk about... We could give a crash course in how time spiral worked based on this show. All right. For example, time spiral the set was all about the, the history of magic. It referenced a lot of old cards. So, in essence, this entire episode is really our time spiral. It's a mishmash of all the old stuff that happened in the game. Okay, sure. I'll accept that. What's our planar chaos, then? What's the analogy there? Hmm. Well, planar chaos was a look into alternate futures of Magic the Gathering. The the never was or could be's of how the color pie or mechanics or cards or settings might have looked... And I think if we had something for Talking Atlas, it might go a little something like this. I'm Bryce Schatz. And I'm Jacob Miller. And this is Talking Archive. Ah. Uh, ah. Uh, oh. Um. <coughs> okay, that was unsettling. Let's not do that again. Sure, sure. Let's talk about the future. The future's a little more... I don't know, less bizarre than the alternate present. Future Sight talked about cards that were in the pipeline, in the case of sets like Lorwyn that were coming out right after, but also stuff that was way further afield, years ahead in the future that we really can't even predict. There were all sorts of things that were suggested, like Tarmogoyf. That went well. Perhaps we can give our listeners a glimpse into Talking Atlas's future. What, what does our future hold? Oh, sure. Let's let's give some predictions for things that might happen in the future. Sure, sure. Uh, how about in the future we will have uh, 10,000 subscribers? I sure hope so. That, that could be neat. Um, all right. I'm laying it on the line. This is something that will happen in the future of Talking Atlas. <clears throat> We're going to the moon. You mean like you, the two of us? Yes. Space shuttle, the whole thing. We're getting on a rocket. We are going to the moon. We're recording eight episodes of Talking Atlas Lunar Edition. Okay, can I have the third thing? Sure. Um, maybe we do a more regular D&D type episode. That was a lot of fun about 15 minutes ago. Yeah, that would be pretty fun. I'd enjoy that. Yeah, and what if it leveraged ideas about planeswalking that we don't usually get to see in the plane shifts? 
Oh, that'd be perfect. Hmm. What if we called it something neat, like, um, living lore? I mean, I don't know. Uh, Maybe? Uh, uh, well, yeah. I mean, it was just a guess. It might never happen. Yeah, who knows? Okay, we are running out of time here. Um, what else? What else do we do? We did chaff chatters and chaff chats. Well, chaff chatter. We did plane strolling. Uh, we talked about plane shift and, and role playing games, so we shouldn't do that. We did a song. Uh, that took a while. Brilliant um, spectrum and time spiral time period and least, favorite, least favorite card. There was um, deck text. A guest. Oh, we can do a guest. We haven't brought hey, a guest. We can bring a guest yet. on. Oh crap. Um, we do that all the time. Well, sort of all the time. We're trying to do it more. Um, uh, uh, uh um, who can we get? Who can we get immediately? Like right off the cuff. Ladies and gentlemen, Titus Lunter. Hey, Titus. Hey, guys. Thanks, Thanks Titus. Titus. Oh, man. Good job. Oof. I'm impressed, actually. I'm amazed we could pull that off. Okay, that's... Is that everything? I think I, that's I everything. Think, I think it is. Oh, wow. Oh, oh. Bryce, that was a lot of, of stuff for one episode. And we didn't even... We're only scratching the surface of all the stuff that we could do. I think we're going to need a hundred more episodes for this. Oh, well, twist my arm, why don't you? I'm happy to report to all of you here that Talking Atlas shows no signs of stopping. I mean, look at us. We've been doing this for a hundred episodes. We've probably put at least a thousand man hours into making this thing work, and we really do love doing it. It is honestly the highlight of my week, no matter how no matter how difficult the rest of my week gets, no matter how busy I am, I'm actually really thrilled when I get to sit down and just talk with my friend about my favorite card game. And that feeling is absolutely mutual. Plus we get to do all sorts of cool stuff. We talked to Titus Lunter and Mel Lee for crying out loud. Yeah, to say nothing of all of our other awesome guests, not to discount them. Titus and Mel were very recent. Also, Titus, we're kind of buds now? I think yeah, we're buds. I, th- I think we're friends with Titus Ledger, which is wild. He can't know how much we fangirl about us being buds. No one can ever tell him. Like, don't. We can't, we can't tell him. Don't, don't tell him. Don't if you're listening to this Titus, right now, you don't Titus, get... If you are Titus right you now, You should have stopped listening Titus, five minutes just, ago. Just don't listen. So that you didn't get listening. to hear that. And if you have heard it, shame on you. No shame on you, Titus. We love you. Well, as always, we do have a little bit of business to wrap up before we get on to podcast episode 101. Now, Jacob, if someone wanted to commend you on an excellent 100 podcasts and many more to come, where would they go? They could find me anywhere they find somebody named Frogger, spelled P-H-R-A-W-G-E-R. That's Twitter, that's Tumblr, that's Reddit, and oh, stop, you're gonna make me blush. And, Bryce, if someone wanted to critique your skills at dealing with pyromancers, where would they be able to find you? They can find me, slightly charred, on Tumblr as WalkingAtlas, on Twitter as Walking underscore Atlas, or you can email us at the.atlas.walks at gmail.com. For more Talking Atlas, find us on iTunes, Google Play, or our website, opalnebula.com. Folks, for one last time, sincerely, thank you so much for listening to this. It is a joy to make, and it is a joy to give it all to you, and all of the people who have responded on Twitter and other mediums just asking questions about the show, responding to the stuff that we talk about. It's its thrilling, honestly. So thank you all so much. And as always, until next time, happy planeswalking, everyone. Mm-hmm.